we wrap up this series, and I've taken this entire series from one passage in one chapter out of one gospel, John 15, 15. The Bible says this. Jesus is speaking. He says, I no longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. In other words, he said, I, I, I don't want to relate to you. I don't relate to you anymore uh, as mere robots that fulfill religious duty. I've revealed my heart to you, and I will respond to you in this relationship as friends, not as servants, not as those who must dutifully perform, but as friends. The fact remains that if we have a relationship with God through faith in Jesus, the relationship he desires with us and from us is one as friends. See, God proved his love for us. As, as I mentioned earlier, the Bible says that greater love has no one than this, that one laid down their life for their friend. That's what Jesus did. The prophet Jeremiah says of God that I have loved you with an everlasting love. God continues to prove his love for us every day. The apostle Paul reminds us that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing yesterday, nothing today, nothing tomorrow. And so the question is not if God loves me, and the question is not how much does God love me, but the question I'm forced to ask myself is does God know how much I love him? Because he's proved his love for me. Amen. Difficult thing about love is that anyone who's old enough to have loved is old enough to know how horrible and how lonely it is to feel as if you are in love by yourself. To feel as though, though you give love to one you love, it is unreturned. That you may be loved deeply in a relationship, but if that love doesn't come back to you in a way that you experience it, you feel unloved, even though you may be loved. And when you are in a relationship, especially an intimate relationship, where you've given and not felt love returned, that's painful, isn't it? Isn't it? And so I have to wonder, does God often feel as though he is loved in word only and in a relationship where love is unreturned? How do we respond to God as friend in a loving relationship in response to the love he's already given us? If the greatest commandment, and Jesus said so, is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, how do we do that? It has to be more than just words. Paul has said that no eye has seen and no mind conceived what God has in store for those who love him. So I want to know and I want to figure out how do I show God that I love him because I want God to know beyond any shadow of a doubt that I love him because I want my eyes to see that which has not been seen and I want my mind to know that which I've not known. So I want to know how do I show God that I love him. 
I've referenced in this series a, a book called The Five Love Languages. And if you've not read it, if you've been here for any length of time, you've heard about it. And in that book, the author Gary Chapman writes about relationships. And he, he, he supposes two things. One, that every loving relationship is built on communication. And two, the most important thing to communicate in a love relationship, in a relationship is love. And, and it's important, he says, that to, 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 sh to communicate love in a way that the other in the relationship feels it. And, and to that end, he came up with this, so I did these five love languages. Quality time, words of affirmation, acts of service, gifts, and physical touch. And the idea is that all, all of us speak and receive love in one of these five ways. For instance, there, there are some people who are wired to, to feel love by quality time. And if you're married to one of these folk or, or, or your kid is, well, your child is, was, was wired this way, you, you, you know, there, there's something where they just want to be around you. They just want to be your shadow, Right? Just follow you around the house, follow you around when you're out. It's always near because their love language is quality time. There are some who are, who are wired to experience love by words of affirmation. My oldest son, Joe, this is his primary love language. And it was so easy as a child for me to discipline him because all I had to do was say but a few words. Joe, I'm so disappointed in your choice. I love you, but I'm disappointed in your choice. And it just destroyed him. Yeah. You, you understand? And it was so easy to do. I mean, not to destroy him. I, that's not where I'm going. <laughs> it was easy to discipline him because he thrived on words of affirmation. And people who thrive on that, it, it doesn't matter what else you do. If you don't express verbally their worth, their value, they feel unloved. There are some who, who are wired to experience and express love and receive love by acts of service. And I don't know why, but it feels oftentimes like, like a lot of guys are wired this way. And, and the way they express love, look, woman, I get up and go to work every day for you. How much more do I have to do to show you I love you? Well, in their world, that's an act of love. You know how well I take care of our yard? Our yard is better than anybody else's yard in the neighborhood. Why you get on me about not spending time with you? I love, I'm showing you by our, that's their love language. But if her love language is quality time and you're living in exact service and you're not working in the garage all the time, showing her love. <laughs> Some people's love language are gifts. And I, and I, don't, I don't mean like they're out buying stuff all the time. Sometimes they are, but like, like my youngest son. He's walking home from school. He was, in, he was young in elementary school or something. He was walking home from school. And he saw on the side of the road an orange hot pad, you know, for dishes. Laying on the side of the road. It's an orange hot pad laying on the side of the road. And in his mind, he thought, well, mom makes a lot of food. She always needs hot pads. And so he picked up this orange hot We still have it. And he gave it to her as a gift at Christmas. <laughs> this used orange hot pad. Why? It was an act of love. Do you understand? 
physical touch. Some people experience and express love physically, like there's got to be some tactile something to it. And I, and I don't mean sensual all the time. I just mean like there's got to be, this is, this is my top love language, and this is one reason I love, I love raising my boys and training with them and lifting with them and coaching them in football because it was so, like, physical. You understand? And, and so the idea is like we speak these love languages all the time and we receive love all the time and, and, and it's fine, it's perfect and the Bible says God is love so he's created all these avenues of expressing and receiving love but the difficulty is when we speak them in a way that the one we love doesn't receive them. And, and, and when that happens, we just miss each other. You You understand? And so the goal is to figure out how do you, how do you receive, like what are the ways, because I want to speak it in a way that you receive it. I value you and I honor you so much. I will change what I do so that it's without a doubt that I love you back. You understand this? And so... Because God has proven his love for us. And if we have a relationship with God the Father through Jesus, in faith, we respond to that love as friends. And so we've been talking in this series, what are the commitments that friends make? How do we, as friends of God, respond to his love in ways that he experiences love? It's more than just words. And if that, what I just walked through, made sense on the physical level, it has to make sense at the spiritual level. So we show love to God by time with him and words of affirmation. Bible reading, prayer, and praise. We show love to God by serving God physically, by serving other people. That's what we talked about the last two weeks. And we show love to God by giving to further his kingdom, gifts. If it makes sense at the physical level, don't disassociate that from the spiritual level. So I've been walking us for the past three weeks. It's going to culminate today in making commitments to God. In those three ways, in those three areas. It's good to make commitments. And I've said from, 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 I've said from the start here that, 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 that don't be afraid of commitments. Commitments are good as long as they're good commitments. Like commitments are good to make as long as they're good commitments to make. See, here's what happens with commitments. We make a commitment, then our commitment makes us, right? We become whatever we're committed to. So commitments are good as long as they're good commitments to make. So if we want to become a disciple or a friend of God, we have to commit to doing what disciples do, what friends do. Does this make sense? And so that's why for these past two weeks, I've passed out these commitment cards. They've been at the start here booth. They've been at the, at the, at the entryway there. It's on our app. You go to our, our app, uh, it's, it's there. there. There's... You can get one of these if you want one of these. And these are the commitments I've asked us as a church to make. 
And they just follow along these love languages idea. The first commitment I asked is to regularly spend time, quality time and words of affirmation by Bible reading and praise. And make sure, and I even gave, gave three different options on how to do that if you need some help. I gave these out two weeks ago. I'm asking that these are filled out, that you fill these out and turn these in. Not because I need to know, but because you need to make a commitment. Because we become what we're committed to. You just agreed with me about that. You understand? The, the second commitment is to serving God in tangible ways. Like the Bible said, and we talked about it last week, that we serve God, we touch God when we serve people, his people, through the context of the church and ministry. And every follower, every disciple, every friend of God needs to serve in some way. I even put ways on there, and we'll help you figure out how to do that if you need. And then the third commitment is to giving of your resources to further God's kingdom. And one of the ways that we're focused on that this year is to, over the next two years, make a commitment over and above our regular tithes and offerings so we can pay down and get out, pay off this more. We own the entire Maywood Center to pay that off. And the great thing that, 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 that we've put in place at this church, and I shared this two weeks, or two weeks ago, that, that, that a, a person in our church, a friend of mine, has committed $400,000 toward towards paying off the mortgage over the next two years. 100 of us already come in, another 100 is coming in in the next couple of weeks. I appreciate that, Sean. Thank you. Yeah. And, and, and so what he said is, uh, that's my commitment. $400,000 paid on the mortgage, and then the, if the church contributes another $4,000 a month just strictly to the mortgage, here's what happens. We save $131,000 in interest. We shorten the loan by, by uh, four years and five months, and we generate $20,000 a month to give to our ministries and our church plants all around America, in Cuba, in Guatemala, our academies in Guatemala, our church planting and houses building in Mexico, to the ministries of Angels and Grace that rescues babies in Fresno and Madeira, to Youth for Christ that rescues youth all around this land, and to Pregnancy Care Center. Can you imagine? Now you're already, I think Flipside is the most generous church in a, in, in, in a nation. I, I I've been around a lot of churches. You're probably the most generous church around. I mean, we're not building fountains and coffee shops with our money. We're giving our money away. And, and, and can you imagine freeing up another $20,000 a month to give away? It's amazing. And, and, and so we've, we, we thought this, we need to commit to this. Not for our sake, but for the sake of all these people we can give money to. All these ministries. And so I've asked you to, to, to just pray and ask, God, what do you want from my time with you and I want my service of you and what do you want from my giving to you? Now, we've made it really, really easy. And For any of you who, who have um, appreciative uh, non-retirement assets, now, if you don't know what appreciated non-retirement assets are, you probably don't have any. But if you do know what appreciated non-retirement assets are, this is for you. <laughs> We've got a relationship with RBC Wealth Management in Fresno. We've done all the paperwork, got everything, so we can, and this is part of the way Shell and I are doing this, take our, 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 our appreciated non-retirement assets and gifting them to the church. So the church then cashes them, gets the funds, and it shows up on our, on our giving statement at the end of the year. 
but it never shows up as income because it was we're not getting the money. The church is getting the money. And it doesn't cost anything. It's completely painless. So we can give over and above our regular uh, tithes and offerings to the next two years to make sure that we can commit our, full, our fulfillment of $4,000 a month. It's simple. And when you do it, it's not just simple, it's fun. And, and so this is the commitment. This is shells of my card right here. We solidified it last night right before we went to bed. And, and it's it signed, it's committed to, and this, this, is, this is our commitment. So we're, we're in it with you. We're, we need to make commitments to God because these commitments will shape us. See, since God has created love, the Bible says God is love, he speaks and receives all these love languages. And so our question is, how do we show love? God's desire for our showing of love is to give back to him, to give back to him our time, to give back to him our energy, and to give back to him our resources. Just like we would in this relationship. See, God's love language, quality time. We talked about that already in week one. His, his love language, acts of service. We talked about that last week. And this week is giving gifts. I, I've said it from day one. We can give without loving, but we cannot love without giving. Can't do it. So as we go into these seasons of Thanksgiving and Christmas, think about what these seasons are. The season of Thanksgiving is time with and serving each other. I mean, that's Thanksgiving, right? And the season of Christmas is gift giving. And, and so as we, as, we, as we go into it, it's right and it's appropriate for us to, to make these commitments in these same ways before we go into these seasons. And I want to share a passage of Scripture with you that, that I think a lot of the church has gotten wrong. The Apostle Paul is, is writing to the church in Corinth about taking an offering for a church in Macedonia. And Paul says, I want you, church in Corinth, to commit to, to prayerfully consider what your ongoing and and over and above offering will be, not for you, not for your campus, not for a new roof, not for a fountain, not for a coffee, not for your donuts, but for another church and another ministry in another part of the world to expand the kingdom of God. He says, I want you to prayerfully consider what your extra offering will be and give it for this other ministry somewhere else. That's exactly what we're asking. That's exactly what we're doing. Here's what the Bible says. Listen to Paul's words. There's no need for me to write to you about this service to the Lord's people, for I know your eagerness to help. He said, I know you want to do this. I've been in church a long time, and I hear over and over and over, I would love to be able to dot, dot, dot. I know you're eager to, he says. And I have been boasting about it to the Macedonian. I've been telling them what a generous church. I've been telling them how much you love to help people. I've been bragging about you, he says. I get it. You're worth bragging about. Telling them that since last year, you and Achaia were ready to give. And your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. He said, look, the story of you and your willingness and your generosity and your desire, I've told that story. And it makes other people get busy. Get it. But I'm sending the brothers. I'm sending some big boys on along in order 
that are boasting about you in this matter should not be proven hollow. He says, I'm going to send some folk. Make sure that's collected what you said would be. So that you'll be ready. As I said you would be. For if the Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared. We, not to say anything about you. Would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit in advance. And finish the arrangements for the generous gift you have promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift. Not as one grudgingly given. Remember. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your own heart to give, not reluctantly, not under compulsion. For God loves a what? Cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you, not a little bit, but a what? But abundantly, so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you'll abound in every good work. Now, let me just unpack this, because I think the church has gotten some of this stuff wrong. And I think it's turned a lot of people away. So just hang with me, and let me teach through this. One of the things right up front, the moment you open up the Bible, one of the things right up front we have to understand. Resources, money, finances are very important for the understanding of Scripture and the understanding of kingdom priority. Money, possessions, and giving is the most talked about topic in the Bible. I don't know if you realize that or not. Because most of y'all didn't go to seminary. You're going to have to trust me on that one. You can look it up and figure it out if you want to be a real Bible student. But how you think about and how you handle your money speaks volumes about how you think about and handle your faith. Jesus talked more about money and possessions than he did about heaven or hell. I don't know if you realize that. Jesus links our heart to our money. I don't know if you realize that. Let me prove it to you. Th th thank you. The answer is always yes. <laughs> the answer is always yes. When someone says something about the Bible and they say, you want me to prove it? The answer is always yes. Because if they can't prove it in the Bible, don't listen to them. Agreed? Agreed? Yeah, a bunch of charlatans. All right? So I'm not a charlatan. I'm not from Charlotte. And so let me just... I mean, most of you didn't get that one. That's okay. So look at this. Matthew 6. For where your... What? What's that word? Treasure is there your what? Heart. So Jesus is the one that connected the nerve between your pocketbook and your heart. I didn't make that connection. Jesus did. So all we have to ask, I got to ask myself this question. I'd encourage you to ask this question. If one were to follow the money trail of my life, would there be enough evidence to convict me of loving God and trusting him? Stuck a nerve with somebody. Now, let me, let me just address this. The word tithe, a lot of churches throw that word around. It means a tenth, and it speaks specifically of your finances. 90% of the mentions of the word tithe are in the Old Testament. It's very true. 
It was part of the law, but it was practiced by God's people 430 years before the law was ever given. And the truth is this too, that Jesus didn't teach tithing, though he did affirm it. Matthew 23, 23, he absolutely affirmed the tithe. So a lot of people think, and I've heard this, well, if the tithe is an Old Testament law and Jesus didn't expressly outright teach it, why should we practice it? Fair question? Absolutely, it's a fair question. Absolutely, it's a fair question. Now, now let me just share with you how churches have addressed this whole idea of, 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 of money. A lot of churches have addressed it in ways that are not biblical. I'm going to give you three ways that churches have addressed it. Only one of them is right. Guilt giving, gimmick giving, and graceful giving. Here's the difference. Guilt giving says this. Well, you're not generous because you're not grateful. A lot of churches will say that. And some of you have walked out of church because that has been their message. If you loved God more, you would give more. That's been their message, right? A lot of churches have gone down that road, and it's terrible, and it's abusive, and it's a form of spiritual abuse. And they've threatened you that, that of what God will not do because you're not giving. A lot of churches have done that. I'd encourage you not to attend those churches. It's very abusive. And there are some non-Christian churches, and let me stress the idea that they're non-Christian churches, that ask you to submit your W-2 from the previous year at the beginning of the year to the church elders. And they'll look at your giving at the end of the year, and if, if your giving didn't match 10% of your W-2, you get a phone call. It is crazy. The Mormon former apostle Marion Romney said this, you earn a place in the presence of the Father in heaven by observing faithfully day by day, year after year, the law of the tithe. That's how you get into heaven. And so if you haven't been guilted into giving, churches will try gimmick giving. You know how that is. Brothers and sisters, just seed your faith with money and God will seed a miracle in your life. Right? You've heard, you've heard that? Thank you. Brothers and sisters, we got a prayer cloth for you. And for any donation of any kind of money, we will send you a prayer cloth that you can use to bless your life. I'm good at this. I could do this. I need a wig and some white shoes and a television station. I'll raise all kinds of money. Big-eared Oral Roberts said a while back that God told me I have to lock myself in a tower and if y'all don't give me $8 million, he's going to take me home. I would tell him, pick out your funeral garb, Oral. <laughs> it's terrible, right? And that's why some of you have walked out of church a long time ago. So let me relieve you from that junk. Because the Bible doesn't talk about guilt giving and doesn't talk about gimmick giving. The Bible talks about graceful giving. So what's the difference between grace and law? The Bible says that for the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. See, there's two ways to be right with God. One is by perfection keeping the law, the Mosaic law given to Moses. The other is by faith because of God's grace. See, the first group is under the covenant of the Mosaic law. And you better do all the right things. And you better not mess up. 
The second group is under the covenant of grace because of faith. Because the Bible says, it's by grace we've been saved through faith. Not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not through works that anyone can brag about it. So the huge question that we have to ask, I'm going to get back to the whole point just a minute, but the huge question we have to ask is, if I'm under grace now, how many Old Testament laws do I have to obey? See, it's a big question. Because if tithing is an Old Testament law, if I'm under grace now, do I still have to obey that? How many of those Old Testament laws do I now, as a New Testament Christian, have to obey? Well, Paul got into this with Peter, and they threw down about it with each other. How Old Testament do I have to be now to be right with God was the question. Does grace mean now that I can eat bacon and shave my sideburns? That's the question. The question is, does grace free us from the law? Let's understand and not be ignorant about these things. Do not think, Jesus says, that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So no, grace does not destroy the law. Grace fulfills the law. By grace, the law has been fulfilled in my life. See, the word fulfill is important because it means to fill a void. It means to level those things that are unstable. So what grace does that the law was not able to do is stabilize us before God. Think about it with, as a table with a wobbly leg. Now, if any of you have eaten at a cheesy diner or, uh, at, at, or any other place or something, you know, our, we've had tables at home that were just unstable. You got a little TV tray. It's unstable. When a leg of a table is unstable, what do you do? You put a piece of paper under it. Hey, Cam, that's exactly what you do. You don't take it out and get it fixed. <laughs> you know, you don't throw it out because it's wobbly. You stabilize it. That's what grace does. That's grace. It makes stable that which was wobbly. It fulfills it. So for the Christ follower, once we know law, we allow grace to fulfill it so that it's practical and useful. Grace stabilizes the law so the Christ follower can understand the intent of it and live in its fulfillment. See, what Christ followers have now, that Old Testament followers of God did not have is the Holy Spirit within us. So if you have a relationship with Jesus through faith, you have the Holy Spirit inside. And the Holy Spirit's role in our life for the Christ follower is to fulfill the intent of the law and enable us to walk in a manner that's more pleasing to God than strict fulfillment of law. It's called walking in grace. See, the difference between the two people is the person under law says, I want to read the Bible to know what it says. And the person under grace says, I want to hear what the Spirit says through the Bible. There's a difference. The person under law says, I'm going to read the Bible so I'll know what's right and what's wrong. The person under grace says, I'll read the Bible and listen to the Spirit on my knees. To hear his direction. So the Holy Spirit's role. Now that law has been fulfilled. Is to lead us in living in ways beyond the law. 
in ways that please God more than obeying the letter of the law. Now, please understand this. The Holy Spirit will never lead anybody in contradiction to the law. It will lead us to live in the spirit of the law. And if you understand this principle right here that I've been talking about, if you understand this, you will now understand finally how Christians are to give gracefully, not under law. So when Paul encouraged the church in Corinth to take an offering for the church in Macedonia, Paul did not encourage them to tithe. He encouraged them to give according to grace. See, graceful giving looks like this. Let me just unpack this real quick for you. Graceful giving, not guilt and not gimmick. Graceful giving looks like this, according to what Paul said. Graceful giving is prayerfully prepared. Paul said, give what you've purposed in your heart. You've prayed over it. You've asked the Holy Spirit to reveal. See, graceful giving is prepared before it's time to give. It doesn't honor God in faith to give and think about it right as you exit the building. It's, it's not giving in faith. So Paul says, pray about it ahead of time. Ask the Holy Spirit to prompt your heart what the Holy Spirit is leading you to it won't, they won't lead you to do something contradiction to the law. But give in a way that God has purposed in your heart at the leading of the Holy Spirit. See, Christ followers ought to constantly be praying about our giving. Now, here's the thing. Christ followers know how to pray about stuff, don't we? We probably just all the time, right? And from this point till Christmas, you go into the river park, you start praying, God, help me find a parking space. I mean, you're praying... You know, Lord, help me get over my family that was just at my house for Thanksgiving. I just can't stand them. I mean, there's all kinds of things that we pray, right? How often do we pray about what we should give? So, so here, here's, here's so, so some people ask, well, if Old Testament, if tithing is Old Testament, why do you still teach it now? Well, let me tell you why we still teach tithing. Let me tell you why we still teach tithing. It's the same reason why the government takes taxes. Because the citizens can't be trusted to be generous. <laughs> See, if, if we're not prayerfully asking the Holy Spirit what our generosity should look like, we must be told what the law says, so at least we'll obey the law. Understand? See, grace giving is not law, but many people do not live by grace. And most want to know what they have to do, which is law. So since, since people can't be trusted to live by grace, the law is 10%. Do you understand? You tracking with me so far? Okay, so Daniel, don't, is, I'm going to give you a moment to shout in just a minute, because I realize right now it isn't a shouting moment. I'm going to give you a moment to holler in just a minute. But see, when you for, for a growing and grace-filled church, tithing is not where we stop. Tithing is where we start. And we ask the Holy Spirit what we do from there. So graceful giving is prayerfully prepared. And that's why with this thing from week one, I said, just be praying. Don't, like, I'm not going to tell you what to do. Just be praying. God, what do you want? From my time. What do you want from my service? What do you want from my resources, Father? Just tell God, tell me what you want. That's why I said from day one, just pray about it. 
It's perfectly prepared. But it's also cheerfully given. Graceful giving is cheerfully given. God loves a cheerful giver. That word cheerful, one time in the entire Bible, this word is used in this context of giving. And the word literally means hilarious. God loves a hilarious giver. It ought to be fun. It ought to be funny. Not in a bad way, funny in a good way. When we give. Our giving ought to make us the, the, the As far as the church, like the, the most joyful time of a church service, according to the Bible, ought to be when it's time for the offering. Can you imagine? Can you imagine coming to church on Sunday? I cannot wait. Ah, I forgot my wallet. I got to go back home. I'm gonna, this is going to be so much fun. Can you imagine? Like if that, like cheerful. God does not want us to give out an obligation or compulsion. That's law. He wants to give cheerfully. That's of the spirit. That word cheerfully doesn't only mean hilarious. It means literally doing whatever's asked. And so, Holy Spirit, you tell me what is your desire from me in this moment. And then with a huge smile, whatever it is, I'm going to do it. Cheerful giving. That's what that means biblically. And there's a reason God says, I want you, and this is your moment to shout in just a minute. There's a reason God says, I want you to give gracefully, not out of obligation, not out of compulsion, not out of guilt, not out of gimmick. There's a reason I want to be gracefully given, prayerfully prepared, and cheerfully. There's a reason, and the reason is this, and don't shout yet. I'm going to tell you when you're supposed to shout, but this is part of it, because a graceful giving is reciprocally returned. It's reciprocally returned. See, when we follow the Holy Spirit in any way, it always comes back. God will be indebted to nobody, not the least of which with our finances. Now, here is the part of this passage that most churches have gotten wrong from almost day one. And I'm going to show you the passage that most pastors and preachers have manipulated to twist their people's arms to get more money out of them. And I'm going to show you the way that they've used this verse to guilt people into giving more money. And I'm going to show you in this verse how it has been abused and manipulated and contorted and why people have turned away. I'm going to show you. Ready? It's, it's this right here. Now watch what it says. If you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. Now, here, now here's what they've done. Pastors have said, if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. It's in the Bible. So don't give a little bit because you don't want to get only a little bit. Give a lot because you want a lot, right? That's how it's been used. If you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. God only give you what you give back to him. So don't do a little bit. You want a lot from God. And because you want a lot from God, give a lot to God. Because it's going to come back. That's how pastors have used it. And it's wrong. The shout is this. Understand what the miracle is. If you sow sparingly, you will reap. Here's the shout. Even if only a little bit, God always gives back. It's not a matter of the amount. It's a matter of the fact of the gift. So don't be manipulated or guilted into giving more. Determine what the Holy Spirit has sold to the gift. And because and, here's what happens. So many people have this attitude. I want to give more. I just don't have more. I wish I could do 
more, I just can't. If I had more, I would give more. And there's so much guilt associated with it because pastors have abused this verse with this verse and said, if it's a little bit, you only get a little bit. No, no, no. The miracle is as even if it's a widow's might and a half pity, God's given back. God doesn't hold my feet to the fire and say, I'm going to give you a tiny bit of grace. God's little bit is a whole bunch. You understand? I feel like this is better news than what you're hearing it. See, even when I cannot give all I want to give, I'm at least going to reap. Isn't that good news? The miracles that God promises to give back, he'll be indebted to nobody. He says, if you give according to grace to me, I will give according to grace to you. But if you live according to law, I will respond to you according to law. And that's not what you want. So graceful giving means I ask the Holy Spirit in prayer. Father, what do you want? And then when I know, I give with a smile on my face. Confident that God will reciprocate. He has to. He tied himself to the promise. And that's why I've asked in this series to make three commitments. The way we show love to God is giving back to him our time, our energy, and our finances. And the promises with confidence that whatever that is, God is so good. God doesn't hold a grudge. He doesn't expect from you what he expects from me. He's individual that way. He says whatever it is. I will not be indebted to you for your time. I will not be indebted to you for your service. And I will not be indebted to you for your finances. If you give it, I'm going to give it back. Graceful giving. And so our prayer is, God, what do you want me to commit to? As far as my time with you, over and above what it already is. Father, what do you want from me as far as my service of you over and above what it already is? Father, how do you want me to stretch my trust in you and show you love by my generosity over and above what it already is? And whatever the Holy Spirit says, you put a smile on your face because that request is God's promise for a return. Did you hear that one? God's request of you is God's promise to you for a return upon you. I just thought that, that was good. I just thought that right now. The first service didn't get it. They got, they got like half a message. But God's request of you, what did I say? Is God's promise to you of his return on you. I said something like that. It was good. <laughs> See, here's what I know. We show love to God the same way we show love to people. By our time, by our service, and by our giving. So friends, whatever the Holy Spirit's put on your heart, just respond with joy. I want you to get one of these. I want you to fill it out. I don't care if you write your name on it or not. That's up to you. For me, it helps me when I write me and Michelle's name on there. We're committed. 
and say, Father, I'm, I'm, this is my response to your promise to give back to me what I'm giving to you. I'm cashing this check with you, God. That's is, this is what you're saying. I'm cashing in this promise. See, what I know is that no eye has seen and no mind has conceived what the Father has in store for those who love him. And so I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that God knows. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that I show that, yes, indeed, Father, I love you. Now show me what I've not seen and help me understand what I've not known. Because that's your promise. Father, thank you that you've loved us with an everlasting love. Thank you. There's nothing we can do that'll separate us from your love. Thank you that you've promised to us to give back whatever it is that we give to you. Father, thank you that you don't hold a grudge. Thank you that you don't, it's not karma. What we give doesn't come back around, Father. It's grace and there's more that comes back around than what we've given. I praise you, Jesus, for who you are. Thank you for the opportunity to make commitments to you of our time, of our energy, and our resources. Father, there's people in this place right now that are struggling with this thing right now. They're struggling right now with how much of this guy do I believe? How much do I commit to? Father, I pray that you get all the other voices out their head and help them only hear yours, not even mine, that they just hear your voice. And Father, I ask if they have a relationship with you through faith in Jesus, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to them right now. What do you want of their time? What do you want of their What do you want of the resource? What do you just speak to them? And Father, would you cause those of us who have the faith to believe and to trust, to give what it is you've said with the confident expectation that your request is your promise for our return. And for that, Father, we give you thanks. We give you glory for what you brought us through. We're ready to do what you've asked us to do. May your name be praised. Amen. Amen.